Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Acts chapter number 13. As was announced a while ago, we are, we are uh, preparing and getting ready for the mission conference, October the 19th through the 23rd. It should be one of the great highlights for the church uh, every year, but it's our theme all the year. And so I want to look to that a little bit this morning in Acts chapter 13. When you get there, if you'll stand, we'll read. I, would, I want to begin reading in, uh, I put down here, verse 32, but I want to back up just a little bit. <clears throat> Paul is doing some preaching at a Jewish tabernacle, a Jewish synagogue. He's on his first missionary journey, and they're in Pisidia, and he's in the middle of his message. And I just wanted to start in verse 26. He's preaching this to the Jews. He said, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and then he says something for all of us Gentiles, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. That's just too good to pass up. And for they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though, and though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, that's what this book is about. It's about him. When they fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen of many he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. That little phrase, who are his witnesses unto the people. They were his witnesses. Over in, over in the first part of Acts, Peter says that we are ordained as witnesses, eyewitnesses of Him. They're gone. Now then, Metropolitan Baptist Church is met this morning. It's not a church because it sits over here on a busy street. It's not the church because we've got a big building around us. That, none of that is the church. You can make a shopping center out of this. It's 
But the church is, is in the hearts of you and me. And here's what I'm going to preach on this morning. He said, he said, they were witnesses. Uh, it was fulfilled and it was written to them. They took him down. God raised him up. And he was seen of many who are witnesses unto the people. So, verse 32 through 36, my text. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children. We could say this from the heart of the church right here on the side of the road. Only reason for our being is we have a risen Savior, and we are witnesses of Him. God had fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that He raised up Jesus again, as it also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he has raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. For David after that he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid into the, unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he which, whom God raised again saw no corruption. I'll stop there. I've got two, I've got two uh, key verses here. The first one says, verse 32, we declare unto you the glad tidings. That word declare. Verse 36, but David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. I want to talk about serving God declaring God in our generation. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we just ask you to help God move in this service, work on us, make of us, do in us, be in us what you'd have us to be. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the risen Savior. Thank you, Lord, that though he was uh, destroyed by men, they could not keep him down. And that Holy Ghost of God raised him again. And now we have a living Savior. Help us, Lord, to magnify his name in this service today. Thank you for him. Thank you, Lord, that one day we heard about him. One day we received him. 
Thank you that he lives within us. And Lord, we praise you for him today. In his name I pray. He alone is worthy. Amen. You can be seated. I, as, as we talked a little about the church, isn't it a privilege to be for us who are nobodies from nowhere, have no pedigree, nothing to brag about in us, to be included in the, in the everlasting will of God, to be included in the work of God. What a song he sung. We shall behold him. We are included, you know, we hear about him from the eyes of Peter and from the eyes of Paul, the eyes of John, the eyes of James, those that were with him. But in that moment, when he shall appear, Paul said, it doesn't yet, yet, uh, it doesn't yet appear what John said, it doesn't yet appear what will be, but we shall see him, not with Peter's eyes or Paul's eyes or these eyeballs are going to look on him. And, and be like him when we see him as he really is. That could be today. Might be next week, next month, next year. Could be a hundred years. But it could be today and be right on time. And if that happens, we need to be... Uh, there's two things we need to be. One, we need to be ready for him. Two, we need to be busy about his business when he gets here. So, I want to talk about that a little bit. You know, over in Luke, I, I was going to go to Luke 9, but I'm not going to go there. Luke 9 is the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember there's only three disciples that got to see him in that, in that transfigured, it wasn't the rapture, it was the transfiguration, Luke 9. Don't, don't get me off the track now. Only three of the disciples got to see him there. And they couldn't tell it until after he was risen. What a privilege it was. Wouldn't you say that had been a privilege to be one of the three of the, of the twelve that had been chosen to preach his gospel, to be sitting there when he's talking with Moses and Elijah about his coming crucifixion and sacrifice for sin for all the people. Wouldn't you say that had been a great privilege? Yes, well, Peter, what did y'all do? Luke chapter 9 says, Peter's, Peter, James, and John, eyes were heavy with sleep. And they went to sleep on the whole service. While God was doing a spectacular one time in all of eternity for, for those three men, they went to sleep. Can you imagine that? 
Well, who knows what he's doing right here? Who knows what he's doing right here in this service today? Who knows what will take place before this day is over? One day, the last message is preached. One day, hey, you know why Jesus hadn't come back yet? The scorners say, you've been preaching that all these years. He's still not back. You know why? You know why he hasn't come? 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. There's one more soul and one more soul and one more soul, and when that last soul is saved, And God knows it's in the foreknowledge of God. And God knows when that last soul is saved, he's a coming, friend. You better get ready. Everything around us looks like the signs of the times, doesn't it? I mean, wars and rumors of wars and and tribulation in nature and the condition of our country. There's so many things we could say. Increase of knowledge and earthquakes and volcanoes and uh, all kinds of things. But you know what? He may not come for another hundred years. He could come right now and be right on time. Nothing has to happen for him to come. When the trumpet sounds, when the archangel shouts, get out of the way, because we're getting out of here. So I'll, they slept through it. Luke, Luke chapter 9 verse 32 says they woke up and saw him in his glory. They saw Jesus only in his glory. Ever since I've been working on this, I've been working on this message about two weeks. I have preached it years ago, but I wanted it for now. We're preparing for the mission's conference. You understand this? Eight billion people, three up, upwards of 300 people a minute will go into eternity while I'm preaching this morning. Eight billion people. And he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to how many of them? Every creature. What a responsibility. You know, when we talk about the church, we want to talk about our, whatever our particular favorite thing about the church is. And so this guy over here's got a church that suits him, and that guy over there's got a church that suits him, and they're, they're trying to persuade everybody to come to their way of thinking about the church. Right? We're a very self-righteous people. But there's just one church. 
and there's just one way. I wish we still had it right up here. There's just one gospel, and there's just one Savior. And if we get in on it, we're going to have to wake up. It's time for us to, it's high time that we wake out of sleep. Well, I wanted to talk about declaring God to our generation. I, I'm a, I have read three or four biographies of David Livingston. I'm a fan of David Livingston. I got a new book this week. I can't wait to read it on the greatest, the greatest missionary generation of our, of the world. I imagine they're going to talk about the 1800s. You know, during the 1800s, you could have stepped over into London, run into David Livingston, run into C.T. Studd, run into those missionaries of, of, that have been all over the world. Hudson Taylor, what's his name, went to India. I can't remember his name, and every time he always, I always lose it. They were all, they were just, they were just people off the streets who took it serious, this thing about being a witness. But David Livingston said, have you ever read a biography of David Livingston, anybody? Then you know why he went to the mission field. He heard another missionary preach who, is, who was in, he was a medical doctor. He had his, he had his standing. He was, he, he was, he could be anything. But he heard a missionary preach and say, from, from, from our, my, my mission station, when the, when the wind's still and it's not blowing and just before sunset, we see the smoke of a thousand camps that have never, thousand cities, villages that have never heard the name of Jesus one time. You know, you could multiply that and say a million cities today. When David Livingston heard that, he threw down his medical books, left his education, and did everything he could to immediately go to Africa. He would spend the rest of his life there. He came home one time in all that time. Give everything that he had. He's going to lose his wife down there. He's going to be separated from his children down there. He's, he, he himself will be eaten up with the diseases and the malnutrition down there. But he's given himself for the souls, lost souls of Africa. He opened the doors for thousands of missionaries to go into. There's no telling how many missionaries have tracked the trails that he opened in Africa. Here's what he said. 
He said, this generation can only reach this generation. You can turn that around. This generation can only be reached by this generation. I was raised in the home of a Baptist preacher. My my great-granddad was a Baptist missionary. I heard about Jesus from the time I was a baby. I was a, I never missed a church service. Uh, I, I, I probably could count on two hands the church services I've missed in all my life. But you know what? My great-granddad can't tell one soul how to be saved today. 1996, my dad went home to be with the Lord. You know what? At one time, I said he was the greatest preacher that I'd ever heard. He was a preacher on Monday just like he was on Sunday. He was a preacher at home just like he was when he was away in those meetings. My mother told him one time, he was kidding with her, he came home from a meeting. She said, uh, we're going to have sandwiches for lunch, bologna sandwiches for lunch. He said, listen, I've been used to eating steak and roast and fried chicken. She said, you listen. said, you may be Reverend Hudson over there, but you're just plain Harvey over here. That was a big joke around our house for a long time. That's the truth. That's who we are, isn't it? There's no big titles. There's no... Hey, Dr. Livingston got his medical degree while he was spinning wool in the, in the wool mills of Scotland. He was just a shepherd boy who raised up to become one of the great soul winners of all time. He said, nobody can reach your generation but you. Nobody can reach, hey, you can't depend on the great songs of the faith or the great books that are written uh, from last generation. You can't, who's listening, who's reading them? I mean, we got a library full of sitting up there. Who's reading them? And who's singing it? Who's listening? I mean, we got a new music ear. Huh? I've been around, I, I was talking with someone this week, and they, I don't know what they said. It was some young preacher told me something about. He was thankful for the mentors. Was that me and you, Jeff? We were talking, Jeff was talking about being under Brother Martin and, and others that God had given him as mentors. I could turn around and say, I, I, I thank God for the mentors that I've had. Those people who stirred me and moved but hey, it's all wasted if we don't use it. 
They can't tell this generation. You and I must tell this generation. I've got to get to my message. Webster, in your King James Bible, God's going to mention that word generation 92 times. That says it's kind of an important word to understand. Webster defines a generation. I never went to I never went to any of the kinfolk things in my life. My mother always wanted to take pictures. She wasn't a good camera person. She could she always uh, she was always off a little bit here there, yonder. But she loved to take pictures, and she'd say, "Come on, now you kids, come on. We got to get in here." You know, we're out there having a big time with the cousins and stuff. And, and she wants everything shut down right in the middle of it for a picture because this is a four-generation. Or I never, it, it always blew me away how it's always all them generations in the picture. You understand it? Here's what Webster, def, Webster defines a generation as those who are living at the same time the children of a particular set of parents. So we talk about great-grandma, grandma, mama, and now us, and that's the four generations. And uh, it could get worse than that if you don't watch out. I mean, my mother could see them at every, at every turn. We cannot. Well, you read, I get to reading this Bible and I think, wow, wouldn't it have been? Oh, Luke says, when Paul saw the vision, immediately we took ship to go to Troas. I thought, man, what a, what a trip that had been with Paul. But we can't go back there. What a trip it would be for us if we could win our family or our neighborhood or our, our, the friends that we have so that they could know the Savior we know. What a trip. Paul can't come over here. I can carry Paul with me on the page of the book. But he won't be with me. You see that? Generation. Over in, I've got to get down to some scriptures. Over in Genesis, no, over in Judges, chapter number 2. I'm sorry, in Joshua, chapter number 2. Judges, chapter 2. Joshua, Judges. Joshua is just passing off the scene. And now the first judges are going to rule. The book of Joshua was one of the great victory books of the Bible. The book of Judges is one of the great defeat books of the Bible. God shows you. Here, here in chapter 2 of, of Judges, 
He's going to list between verse 7 and verse 10, he's going to list three generations. Verse 7 says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Amazing what a difference leadership makes. Joshua was a leader. They served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And then he mentions the second group, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Tom, somebody wrote that book, The Greatest Generation. I lived with the greatest generation. I was, I was a baby during World War II. I saw them. I saw the sacrifices. I saw the, the all-out united effort of, the, of this country as they won that victory in World War II. I saw the great. I saw the sacrifices from people like my. Grand, grandmother and granddad who had had uh, three of their kids in the service. One of them drafted out of high school into the Marines on the beach in Iwo Jima, the very first rattle. I saw their sacrifice. But I was also remember when we had to go downtown because they were honking horns and shouting and marching and singing the victory. Everybody had a V in their fingers and we, were, we had won the victory. That was a generation. Then there was the generation that ever lived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And, and that's a generation. Somebody said the first generation generates. Most of the rewards that you and I have known in our life came out of that generation who won World War II. I mean... America was a no-name nation before World War II. They were a, kind of a second-class country in the world. But during World War II, they surpassed England and France and, and the leaders of the world of the generation before. And we've rode on the crest of that wave ever since then. And all of us have reaped benefits from it. But there's a second generation. We've lived in that generation. They're the ones that overlived Joshua and that marching army that won the nation. All they've done is just reap the benefits. There's a generation that generates. 
There's a generation that dissipates. Look at our country today. Look at what's going on in Washington, Austin, the, the leadership of our country today. And tell me we, we have not dissipated all the glory from that great generation. A nation that did love God doesn't love God. A nation that did have standards has no standards. A nation that was uh, honorable is dishonorable. That's right. That's right. We have dissipated this generation. But we're raising a generation. Down in verse number, down in verse number 10, and also all that generation were gathered to their fathers, the generation that overlived Joshua. Look out here. I'm probably old as any of you. I'm 82. If I make it another five years, I'll be That'll be something special, won't it? I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think it's a freight train coming my way. That's where we're at. If I was a baby in the World War, in that greatest generation, where you at? You're somewhere along the way. You're X, Y, or Z generation. I don't know. Well, listen to this. Verse 10. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. My heart has been broken in the years I've lived right here in Fort Worth to see what the present generation accepts and does. What is success for the present generation? You know, I mean, it may be a, a big car or a big house or something, but for a lot of them, it's just a little popularity just a little more sexual freedom, immorality, a few more drugs, a new brand of drugs, just a, another party, and that's success. Don't fall into that trap. You got a Bible. You know who Jesus is. You don't have to, you don't have to let the devil sell you that bill of goods. That's the generation coming. I may be stepping on your toes, but I can't help it. I'm going to. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I can't imagine in my generation Beto even getting to carry a soapbox for a governor, much less running for a governor. Can you? Can you believe anybody would be, would be willing to settle for such as that to run our state? I, I can't believe it. 
I can't believe what's happening. I can't believe the polls. I can't believe he even gets a scratch. But it says something about the generation we're in now. It's just one mark. And you can vote for him if you want to. You're free. But don't settle for second best. I didn't intend to get in politics. Y'all erase that off that tape, please. We have a personal responsibility to this generation. Look over at Isaiah just a minute. I've got two or three verses to look at. I've already preached more than I intended to just on the introduction. Isaiah chapter 53, the great chapter of the Bible. In 53 verse 8 he says this, He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, and for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Who will declare his generation? God said, which one of you is going to be the preachers to the new generation? Which one of you will be my witnesses? Which one of you will tell the story? That verse said, David served his own generation. Giving the glad tidings, the gospel news. David served his generation. Who's going to serve this generation? There certainly is. There's the deceit of this generation. Proverbs 16, 25 says... There's a way that seemeth right unto man. Should not surprise us that there's people out there that don't accept us as a church. Should not surprise us that there's people out there that don't accept uh, our Bible as the Word of God. Should not surprise us that there's there's a uh, imitation Christianity that says, I serve God without obeying the Word of God. It's where we live, isn't it? That's the popular churches across America. Don't preach against sin. Don't preach the blood. Don't preach that that one-way salvation that we've heard a lot about in the last two weeks. Make it open and available. shouldn't surprise us because there's a way that seems right unto man but the end thereof are the ways of death the test the the proof is in the pudding and the test of your salvation is that day when you're all alone might be over in the ICU ward somewhere I'll never forget Bessie Broussard. I've told you about her before. I got on my knees. She wanted to be saved, but she was religious, and she had taught religion to her family. She was a great grandma. She had heard gospel preached, and she, every time she heard it, she, 
she would get convicted. But she couldn't turn loose of her religion. Her, her kids and grandkids were living by her instruction in that religion. But Bessie was on her deathbed. I, I knelt down beside her bed and preached to her for over an hour and told her the gospel story. She was already, she was already, had been medicated. She was drifting in and out. She was two hours away from eternity. And I did my very best to give her the gospel, and she would say something like this. Brother Wayne, tell me that one more time. I didn't understand that, Brother Wayne. Tell, tell it to me again, Brother Wayne. She went all the way down to a subconscious state with those statements. I had to get up and walk out. Two hours later, she went to meet Jesus. I don't know if she's saved or not. If somehow in that drug state she could give her heart to Jesus, she's saved. He can erase the whole life with, with that sacrifice. But if she did not by her will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, her only Savior, she's not saved. She was a great lady and a great grandma, a great mother. But she did not have the gospel. Friend, it's our responsibility. We. He said, who's going to, who is going to declare his generation? Who's going to do it? Look, you just talk, you just think about your family. Think about those you know in your family that are lost. Think about you, the neighbor you know that's lost. Who's going to tell them if you don't tell them? Think about it. Who's going to be a witness of Jesus to this generation. It won't be the television set. It won't be the politician. In many cases, it won't be the church. So who's going to tell them? Who, who is it that will be a witness to this generation? That's what he's asking. And then he answers it over in, over in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. You ought to get a hold of this verse. But ye are a chosen generation. See, you know more. You know more about Jesus than, than, the, than the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the rulers of the Jews. You know more about him than the wisest religious leaders of Israel. You are. Thank God. Thank God for it a granddad and a dad and the preachers that God put in my background to hammer that gospel, hammer that gospel, hammer that gospel. I, I used to think about George Jackson. I, Man, don't you have another message? But he kept putting it in my heart. 
until it was in my heart and I couldn't get away from it. You're a chosen generation, folks. If we held up our hand, whoever, who hasn't ever understood the pure, simple, we got that little track, four things God wants you to know. We got another one that says five things God wants you to know. Hey, here's what God wants you to know, that Jesus died for your sins and is risen again and has power to deliver you from, from your sin forever. He, he has power to cleanse you, wash you, purge you. And hey, anybody out there can have it. We stand out here yesterday and folks came in and, and uh, one of the men told me this morning, he said, I think I lost them when I told them the wages of sin is death. He said, I believe it was over right there. But we fail if we don't give them the truth. We're the generation. We're a chosen generation. Not only that, you're a royal priesthood. You understand what a priest does? There's two responsibilities for a priest. One is he has to have a sacrifice. Thank God we got a sacrifice. We got the only sacrifice that ever satisfied God. The righteousness of God is satisfied at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus. He said, I'm wearing the, I'm wearing the marks. I've got the, I've got the stains of the blood, uh, the blood stains of the cross on my back. Don't separate me from the cross. I don't want to go back to being a Jew. I don't want to go back to being a Pharisee. I don't want to be religious. I'm a, I am a, cross-centered Christian. Are you? Philippians chapter 1, the Bible said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do you live for? What do you, I'm talking to us, us born again. I'm talking to our church. And if, you, if it falls on you, you can have some of it too. If you're not part of the church, what do we live for? Paul said, I, to me, to live is Christ. You turn the page. That's Philippians 121. You go to 221. 221, he said, I don't have another man like-minded for all seek their own and not the things of Christ. All. Hey, if there's ever been a generation that could fit that verse, it's the generation you and I are living in. All of us seek our own and not the things of Christ. We could say that, couldn't we? I mean, I could say it about hours and weeks and months and years of my life that I sought myself rather than Christ. How about you? How much time you spend on Jesus versus how much time you spend on yourself? We're not cross-centered preachings, uh, cross-centered Christians. We're self-centered Christians. 
most of us. Right? But we're, so, so the, the priest has to have a sacrifice. We got one. The second thing a priest does is he makes intercession to God and through God for the people. There's some folks in this room need to be saved. Brother, Brother Daniel has went out and gathered up folks that need to be saved. Time has been spent on people that need to be saved. But it's worth it if they get saved. It's not worth it to just come for the games. Come for the picnics. Come, hey, come for the next meal or whatever it is you're coming for. It's not worth it. You do better somewhere else. But it's worth it if we can bring them to Christ. But it says, if you do that, you're going to be a peculiar people. First time in a long time I've given, drew an outline to put up there, and I can't even get to my outline, so. <laughs> Personal responsibility. I'll just go right here and I'm quitting. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I said, are you Christ-centered, cross-centered, or self-centered? You don't have to answer me, but you'll answer the Lord you already have. Be honest with your own heart. Where are you? If you're self-centered, it may be because of this right here. Paul said, not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Are you ashamed of the gospel's person? Are you ashamed for folks around here to know that I'm a Christian? Christ lives in me. I've been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. I, I, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I need the power of, that, of God, and it's found in that gospel. I need the power of God for my salvation. I, I pray the power of God for your salvation, whoever you are. And here's what he said. Whoever you are is everyone that believeth. I mean, you don't have to, red or yellow, black or white, they are precious in his sight. God is not a respecter of persons. And he'll save you if you'll let him save you. All you need to do is believe. 
He's the only Savior. You'll have to leave yourself behind. That's called repentance. And give yourself to Him in wholehearted belief. When you do that, He'll save you for all eternity. The devil can't separate you from God. Jesus is tougher than the devil. He proved that on the cross of Calvary. But the plan of the gospel is you got to believe it. I guess I've introduced my message this morning. I'm not, it doesn't matter. If I can get God's message, it doesn't matter about my message. Listen, Christian, there are folks that won't come in here. They need this generation to reach this generation for Jesus. What are you doing about it? What about you? Have you ever just trusted Jesus as your Savior? I'm not talking about joining this church. I'm not talking about being baptized. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm talking about being real with Jesus. It's been a pretty simple message. I couldn't get past some of the truths that God confronted me with in this message. David served his generation. As I look back at my past, most of my life I have served Wayne Hudson. Paul would have had to say there was a period of my time that I served the law or I served my reputation. We've all got a past. The question is, what will we do right now? Will you let him use you as a servant to witness to this generation? Tonight I'll give you some prerequisites, but it all begins with just putting your trust in him. Just a full-out surrender to him. Can you do it? We stand. Father, I ask you to have your way with each one right now. I ask you, Lord, I pray that your will has been done in this message this morning. Lord, I know we haven't near got what I thought we needed to get, but I know that you're, you're capable and you're able to take these stumbling th- thoughts and touch hearts, and I ask you to do that right now. Help us to submit ourselves to you. Help us to search ourselves. Help us, Lord, to give you ourselves, fresh and new. Lord, missions is nothing until it's personal with us. And Lord, I just ask you to do something here. in our midst today. Thank you for Jesus. His name I pray.
Amen. Page 353. Come on. God's speaking to you. Somebody's already here. You come. Altars are open. While we pray and while we prayer Lord move me from self-centered to Christ-centered in my life help me to help me to get past myself and look unto Jesus help me to reach this generation telling his generation Help me to be a soul winner. Help me stay at the cross and serve you. We'll sing one more verse. In the world you felt Back at six o'clock. David's got some pointers on how we can be there until this generation. Amen. Our chorus for this month is Till the Whole World Knows. Let's sing that chorus.